We're beginning a series entitled Ruth, the God who redeems our everyday lives. The God who redeems our everyday lives. And we are going to go verse by verse over the next four weeks through this book. And I got to tell you, my heart is full today. I cannot even begin to go through and begin to share with you what I believe Uh, what God wants me to say, and I'm going to need his help to do that today. But we're going to read verses 16 through 18, and as we do here at City Church, we stand in the honor of reading God's word. Ruth chapter 1, and uh, we are going to read verses 16 through 18 for emphasis. I would encourage you, bring your Bibles to church. I know a lot of you use your phones, and that's great. I use my phone to read the Bible, but bring your Bible, bring your phone, however you do it. I really want you to follow on because God is going to speak to you through this series. Ruth chapter 1, we're going to read verse number 16. And the Bible says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. You've heard that before, right? Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even in death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I want to talk to you this morning on returning to God in our time of trouble. Returning to God in our time of trouble. This last week, last Sunday, we prayed for our 14 uh, Go Mission team members that went to Jamaica. And I just want to give you a really quick update. They had an, a very, very successful time in Jamaica. We were able to help the local churches there. We had about 10 local churches meet, about 40 people. And we trained them on how to do a ministry to the children called Junior Bible Quiz. And we are continuing the mission of bringing God's love to our city, not just here in Central Florida, but we are also doing it in the country of Jamaica. And also, uh, one really cool thing is, so they did the training, and then yesterday, Yesterday, they did an outreach. Now, yesterday was Bob Marley's birthday. And the people of Jamaica, he's a sacred saint. He's a holy one in Jamaica. And they started partying at 3 o'clock in the morning. And we didn't know that that was going to take place. But we still held the, held the outreach. And they had 40 people receive Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior yesterday in their outreach. So we are so proud of our team. And uh, we're just going to pray. They're coming home. They're on an airplane right now. But we're going to pray that God's strength and grace be with them this week as they go back to work. Father, thank you for uh, your grace. Uh, thank you. You're so good to us. And we welcomed your presence here in such a wonderful way. We love you, Jesus. Lord, for every person in this room, I pray that you'll give them an ear to hear. I thank you that you are speaking to us today. You're the God who still speaks. God, I pray today that our hearts will be open to receive from you. God, I pray that you'll give me a mouth pray that you'll give me a mouth not to say my words, but to speak the things that you exactly want me to say. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for the team that's coming back from Jamaica. Thank you. Thank you for the commitment and the dedication, Lord, that they've shown, the monies that they, that they paid and that saved and all the things that they did so they could sow your love and your grace into the lives of the students and of the families there in the country of Jamaica. We bless them today. Father, we pray for grace, giving me a mouth to speak in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to expound the scriptures today. We're going to talk a little theology. We're going to get a little deep today. We're going to expound the scriptures today, but we're also going to explain what they mean. And then hopefully by the end of this message, you're going to leave encouraged. Uh, I was uh, out here yesterday afternoon, yesterday morning actually, and we had over 50 people on this campus that were part of a metal detecting club. And they were out at the old house and they were digging for the pot of gold. They were looking for treasures. 
And man, they had those little things beeping, little beeps, and somebody would find something here, woo, somebody would yell over there. One guy actually found a 1920s diamond ring, and he got to keep it, lucky dog. <laughs> I was thinking, man, I'm putting my hand out, I want that thing. But I, he looked at that ring, and, and uh, one of the guys standing, who was an antique uh, uh, expert, he looked at that ring, he said, man, that's at least a half a carat diamond. And boy, you could see the sun glistening off that thing, and and it was beautiful. It was a really beautiful little ring. And what really, what really was fun to me was to watch the people digging in the dirt. I mean, some of them, they got down to the ground and they were digging. And you know what? That's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to dig for diamonds, diamonds in God's word. We're going to go deep in God over the next four weeks as we allow, as we discover the truths of God's powerful word. You know, there is, as you saw in that little video clip as you came in, there are some reoccurring themes that take place in the book of Ruth. One of the reoccurring themes in the book of Ruth is this concept or idea of providence. The idea of providence, that God is sovereign, that God is in complete control of our lives. God doesn't will everything to happen, but God has allowed things to happen. And in spite of God allowing those things to happen, God is still good. Theologians have a word called theosity. And this word literally means explaining the goodness of God in light of suffering and evil in the world. Explaining the goodness of God. God is still good. The hand of God is upon the life of those who put their faith in him. He is the God of his story. It's his story. He's the God of history. He's the God of your history. He was the God of Ruth's history. So this concept of providence you will see weaved all throughout this book. You'll also see the concept or the idea of love and loyalty. You'll see this one particular thread running through first in the heart of this, of this woman by the name of Ruth. I mean, all, all the other things that are taking place, all the other decisions that people make around her, this woman is loyal. She's loyal to her mother-in-law. She's full of loyalty and love. And because of that love and loyalty, it leads her to a life of abundance. Another thing about this book is that this book empowers women. 3,100 years ago, think of that, 3,100 years ago, this book was written. 3,100 years ago, like much of the world still today, women really had no value other than being baby carriers. Women were chattel. They could be sold. Women could be traded. Women could be discarded. They literally didn't have a voice. And all of a, long, all of a sudden comes along this Moabite woman, and this Moabite woman in the eyes of God allows this woman to be elevated to a place in history where because of her story, because of her story, women are seen in a different life. They're strategic. They're smart. They're, they're scrappy. Well, as we go through the story, you'll see that this woman is a very special woman. And all throughout history, because of the life of these women, women's stories have been empowered to live a different kind of life. The significance of names. Every name and every place in this story, in the Hebrew, means something. We read this in English and we just skip over the words and, 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 because maybe we can't pronounce them or, you know, it's a strange name to us. But actually, if you were to read this story in the Hebrew, this story in the Hebrew would be told by the names. You would immediately understand what this story is saying because you understand the names and the significance of them behind it. And so we're going to look at the significance of names. But ultimately, this story is a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption. 
we're going to see how God redeems our everyday moments. And ultimately, it's a story of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been sent to redeem mankind from their sins. The story of redemption. It's a story of hope. As we go through the story, uh, as we're traveling on this road and journey of life, uh, the first thing that I want you to see, the first part of the story I want you to see is that as we're traveling down the road of life, many people turn away from the path of God. As we're traveling down the road of life, many people turn away from the path of God. And because people turn away from God's path for their life, because of that, many people, and not just many people, all of us in this room will experience a life full of trials and tragedies. As we're going down the road of life, we have a choice to make. Every person in this room will experience trials and tragedies. I want you to look at verse number one with me. The Bible says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. In the days when the judges ruled. If you went back one page in your Bible to Judges chapter 21, you would see that the very end of the book of Judges, the Bible says, in those days, Israel had no king. And every person, every man, every woman did what was right in their own lives. Uh, you could take it like this. You could take spring break, Mardi Gras, and prison break. And you could wrap it all into one. That's how the people were living. God's holy people, God's people chosen for a specific purpose, were living a life separate from the plan of God. They were living by their own feelings, by their own, uh, by, by their own desires, by their own passions. They weren't serving the one true God. They'd actually adopted the practices of the nations around them. And in those days, when the judges ruled in the land, there was a famine. There was a famine. Famine comes... To every person at some time. You have a famine in a relationship. You have a famine in your finances. You have a famine with some kind of a relationship with a friend that you have. Something breaks. It's not working. Every person in this life experiences famine. When we are experiencing times of lack in our life, there's nothing wrong with asking the question, why? Why is this taking place? I mean, sometimes famine takes place because it's just the course of natural events and we're experiencing what's taking place generally at culture at large. But even then, someone has to ask the question, why is this happening? In 2008, the stock market crashed in America. And there were a lot of people looking for why did this take place? Why did this happen? Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an economist. But I got a basic understanding of how things work. And when people borrow more money than they can pay back, you got a problem. But you got to go back. You got to go back to why could they borrow more money? Why could people spend more money or buy houses that they couldn't afford? Well, you got to go back to the, even farther than that. And in the 1990s, we had presidents. In the, in the early 2000s, we had a couple of presidents that wanted to keep their popular ratings high, and so they loosened the banking rules in America. And because of the loosening of the banking rules, people were able to borrow money that they really couldn't afford to borrow. And so you can just follow the trickle all the way down, starting with the government who lo loosened the rules of banking to the local communities whose coffers were filled because people were buying houses in record numbers. And then you can take it all the way down to the bankers who were making monies that they had never made and all the way down to the people in the street who were buying houses that they never thought they could afford. And then the collapse came. And a lot of people suffered. A lot of people suffered. 
The fact is famine came. Seasons, more people lost homes, uh, homes in that time period than any time in American history. The, mark, the stock market lost over 50% of its value. I mean, there was a famine in the land. Why? Because our nation was motivated by greed, by popularity, by avarice, rather than on solid economic principles. See, famine came into the land. There's nothing wrong when famine comes into our life to say, okay, God, uh, I, I, might, I might not have done anything to cause this, but what do you want me to learn through this? And so famine came into the land. But in the place of famine, I want you to see the rest of this verse. There was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem, a man from Bethlehem and Judah together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. They lived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was located in a region called Judea. The name Bethlehem means the house of bread or the place of God's provision. Hear me today. The name Bethlehem literally means the house of bread or the place of God's provision. The name Judah means praise. It means praise. They left the place of God's promise, the promised land that God had given to their father Abraham many, many years before. They left that place to go to a place called Moab. Everyone say Moab. Moab was a place called not enough. Moab was a place of not quite the promised land. Moab was located 50 miles, 50 miles from the promised land, but it wasn't quite the promised land. And so we have this man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech, his name means my God is king. And in just a while, we will see this man Elimelech, his bad decision to go to Moab. We'll see the consequences of it. But see, the fact is you have a choice to make today. When famine comes into our life, we have a choice. Do we do it our way or do we do it God's way? I mean, Elimelech was a good father in that he wanted to provide for his kids. He wanted to make sure that his children were taken care of. And so he heard that there was food over in Moab. But that wasn't God's plan for him. That wasn't God's purpose for him. The fact is they were to stay in the place of Canaan, the place where God would supply and meet all their needs, even as we read this morning and we declared this morning as we were singing. See, he is the God who is able to supply. And Elimelech saw that there was ability to provide for his family. He was looking at it in the natural, but he wasn't looking at it in the spiritual. The Bible says that the way that seems right to a person, but that way leads to death. Elimelech was looking at it in the natural. Hey, I'm going to take care of my family. He had no concern for what would happen to his two sons, Malon and Kilion, the two Klingon brothers. <laughs> okay, let me help you with this. Okay, Malon and Kilion. Yeah, that's a really cool name. Don't name your kids Malon and Kilion. Malon means sickness. Kilion means wasting away or dying. Hey, here's my two boys here, sickness and dying. <laughs> He has no consideration of what's going to happen when he takes his two sons to the place of Moab. You see, because Moab was a people who worshiped foreign gods. They had lots of gods, but their primary god was this god that looked like a fish. It was a, a god of fertility, god who had many eggs, many, many children. And they had sexual practices that were far outside of God's plan. They, they also took their babies as a sacrifice and would offer them to this god. And so he takes, he takes his two boys and his wife, Naomi. Her name means pleasant one. His name means my God is king. 
God is my king. His, her name, Naomi, means pleasant one. Malion and Kilion, sickness and death. We don't want those. He takes them and he takes them to this place far from the purpose of God. Far from the plan of God. Why shouldn't have he done that? Why was that a bad decision? Because the law declared in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I want you to see this verse here, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 1, if you could put it up. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, into the promised land you are entering to possess, and drives out many nations before you. He actually lists seven nations, all the ites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Moabites, I mean, all the ites. He lists seven nations. He says, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters or your sons to marry them. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. Did you hear that today? You're in the place. This morning, you were in the presence of God. This morning, you were worshiping Jesus. This morning, you were, you, I mean, we, we declared it in song, but there was a reality, a tangible reality that the, that the Jesus who was risen from the dead was in this room. His spirit was here. We knew it. It's the place of God's presence. It's the place of God's provision. And I watch so many Christians, hear me Christians, I watch so many Christians make decisions about what church they go to, about where they're going to live based on the intellect, based on the logic, rather than the spiritual decision to be a servant of Christ. Many, many, over the years, I've watched many, many people make a bad decision to leave the place of God's provision because it looked better over on the other side. There was a lady many years ago, her name was Irma Bonbeck. And she wrote a book. She said, uh, uh, the grass isn't always greener over on the other side of the septic tank. <laughs> the fact is, it isn't always greener. And we would see that this, his decision to go to the place of Moab was a very, very bad decision. It was a complete failure. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he went to Moab. Emelech died. His physical, natural decision led to death. Look at verse number 3. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married two Moabite women, one named Orpah. Orpah means stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. Ruth means beautiful one. She was beautiful. <laughs> Orpah. Orpah showed up again about 20 years ago. Her name is Oprah now. No, just kidding. Her sons died, her husbands died. Now here's the reality. In verse number five, her husband dies, her children dies, and she's living in, and she's living in this place, and she's in a place of no hope. No hope. There is no provision. She's living in a foreign land. These are not her people. Uh, these people have no responsibility to take care of her. Her husband took her. Her husband made a bad decision because he was a bad dad, ultimately. You see, fathers today, our responsibility isn't just to provide financially for our children. Our responsibility is to lead our children spiritually, to lead our grandchildren spiritually. We have a greater responsibility. I believe I want to be a good dad. I want to provide for my kids even after I die. I want to provide for my wife should I go before my wife does. I want to take care of those things. I want to make sure that I got life insurance. I want to make sure that my house is paid for. Those are good decisions to make. Those are right things to do. Good dads want to make sure that their family is taken care of. But if you neglect the spiritual, if you neglect the spiritual reality, the decision you make as a father to serve God or not serve God will have a direct impact on your children, not only for your children, but for generations to come. You're kidding yourself. 
Joshua said it like this. Joshua said, you can go ahead and serve those Moabites. You can go ahead and serve the gods of the Canaanites. You can go ahead and serve the gods of the Amorites and the Hivites and all those other rites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Someone said amen. After they lived there about 10 years, Malon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her husband and her sons. Wow. No hope. Hopeless. Tragedy. <laughs> it comes to every person in this room. Every person in this room will experience trials that you can't fix and things you don't understand. I mean, Naomi's luck fell bad. If it wasn't for bad luck, she wouldn't have had any luck. She went from famine to funerals to life of futility and no hope. Things were looking bleak. Things were looking bad. But hear me today, when God, when God is your God, there's always hope. There's always a pathway to return home. There's always a pathway to return home. I want you to look at verse number six with me. And the Bible says, when Naomi, remember hit pleasant one, heard in Moab, the place just short of the promise, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And with her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living, the place of futility, the place of no hope, she left that place and set out on the road that would take her back to the land of praise. See, the Bible says that the praises of God's, God inhabits the praises of his people. And she was heading back to a place where God's name could be praised freely. She prepared herself. She turned her heart. I'm challenging you today. You might be stuck in a Moab. You might be stuck in a season of lack. You might be stuck in a trial that you can't seem to break out of. Listen, don't stay stuck. Don't stay stuck. Don't keep asking why. You'll never get the, why, the answer to the why that you really probably want because you're never going to know some things in this life. But I want you to turn your heart back to God. Hear me today. Listen, Naomi heard that there was revival in Bethlehem. Re Naomi heard that the blinded eyes were being opened. Naomi heard that God was providing bread on the table for the people in that city. Naomi heard that marriages were being restored. Naomi heard that the, the lame were standing up and walking. Naomi heard that drug addicts were being delivered. Naomi heard that there was a revival there was bread. There was the presence of God in the place of provision back in Bethlehem. And she turned her heart back towards God. I don't, come on, I don't care where you're at today. Turn your heart back towards God. He is your source. He is your helper today. She comes to her senses. She wakes up. She prepares herself. Sometimes God allows us to hit rock bottom before we decide, you know what? This ain't working too well. <laughs> Being in Moab. That place of not enough, that place of brokenness, that place of loss, that choice of bad decisions. We've all made them at times. Don't stay there. Don't stay stuck. I want you to see what happens here in verses 8 and 9. Then the Bible says, then Naomi, so she's on the road. She's on the road to the place of bread. She's on the road to the place of provision. And then Naomi said to her two daughters, verse number 8, her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. And may the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye 
and she wept out loud. I mean, she's a realist. Bringing two Moabite women, two Moabite women back into the camp of Israel wasn't a good decision. I mean, they had a law of separatism. They didn't believe that they were allow these other people into their sphere, into their influence. And Naomi really, in the logical, practical sense, was probably making the right decision. But she wasn't looking at the decision through the eyes of God. You see, because even in the eyes of God, God made a provision for the Gentile to come into the camp of Israel if they would renounce their gods and put their faith in the one true God. And so she's on the road with these two women, and she has a chance. You know what? Just go ahead and go back. It'll be better with you for your own families. I mean, go back to your own gods. Go back to your own way of worship. She was thinking like the natural man. The natural man thinks, you know what? It's better for those people to serve their own gods, to live their own way. I mean, it's just this road. I have no promise of tomorrow. And you're right, you don't have a promise of tomorrow. But as long as you are a Christian, as long as you are a Christ follower, there is always hope in God. She releases them. She returns home. She's on her way to returning home empty-handed. She went to Moab full with a husband and two sons. And she's coming back empty. Listen to me. When you turn from God, when you turn from God's way and God's path in your life, and you live your own way, you're going to land in Moab. You're going to land in Moab. Not every, not every decision in our life, not every decision is a bad decision. But when we do make bad decisions, bad decisions have bad consequences. Right decisions have right consequences. She made this decision that she was going to go back. She couldn't see a future for her daughter-in-laws. And she tells them to leave. She's a good woman at heart. She releases them a blessing. She loves these two daughters-in-law. I mean, her heart is for them. She wants the best for them. You can have the best heart for a person, but you can still make the wrong decision. I was far from God. I was a young man, 19, 20 years of age, and my grandfather, I was his only grandson, and he loved me. He would do anything, anything for me. But he wasn't a Christ follower. He wasn't a Christ follower. And when I was in the land of Moab, the land of lack and brokenness and addiction, his way of trying to help me was to give me more money was to keep propping me up, thinking that somehow if he could just give me more, if he could just help me out more, that somehow I would turn my life around. That's not what happened. The more he helped me, the further down the hole I went. It wasn't until I came to the end of my resources and the end of my own abilities that the only way to look was look up. It was the only hope that I had. I came to the place where I was willing to return to God. Naomi's on that trail. Her heart's good. She wants to help her daughter-in-laws. But the fact is, she's doing exactly the opposite. But she's put herself in a position to be blessed. She's on her way home. But she's still pouting. She's still holding on. Look at verse number 10. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. We will return. We're going to come with you. we got nothing to lose. I mean, come on. Back in Moab, that is a place that's broke, busted, and disgusted. That's not working. I mean, at least these two daughters, they could look forward to the future and they could see that their future has got a little better hope than their past. Then verse 11, Naomi says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Why would you come with me? I'm an old woman. I mean, what, what, what good is it going to do? I'm, going to have, I'm not going to have any more sons 
who could become your husbands. I mean, if I had a child, and you're going to wait around for him to become old enough so that you could marry him? No, 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 my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. She was going to die a widow. She was going to die in poverty. She was going to die with no ability for provision or anyone to take care of her. At least that's what she thought. That was her natural thinking. Now, here's the the deal. There's three women here. There's Naomi, whose name name means pleasant one. There's Orpah, whose name means stiff-necked or stubborn. And then there's Ruth. The name means beautiful. Orpah, she's convinced. She's convinced that going the way of God, you know what, it really isn't the best way. You know, what about all these religions out in the world? I mean, there's all these different pathways. There's all these different ideas about who God is. And I mean, maybe the one true God isn't really the one true God. Somehow, Orpah, she starts off on the right path, but something causes her to take a detour. I don't know what it is. I don't know what she thought she was going to go back to, but she makes a detour. There are many people who come to this church. Thousands of people over the years have come to this church, and I've watched this so often. I've watched people come to the altar at a decision. I've seen people say yes to Christ, and all of a sudden a trial comes, or a tragedy comes, or something in their life. Someone is able to get a hold of them, to sow a seed of doubt, and the next thing you know, they're going off. They're taking a detour, and they're walking away from the providence. They're walking away from the provision and the blessing of God, and life gets hard. It gets really hard. Then you have this woman by the name of Ruth. Ruth has a completely different perspective. Look at verse number 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her her gods and to her people. He's going back to her gods and to her people. Why don't you go back with her? But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you and to turn back from you. If you're going to stay on the pathway of God, you must reject the ways and the pressures of the world to go back. You've got to reject them. If you're going to finish, if you're going to run the race, if you're going to look forward to the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus, you must refuse to go back to the place of Noah. It's a decision. It's a decision. It's a decision, and it isn't always easy. Because sometimes what you know in the past is easier to go back to what you don't know in the future. At least you know the devil that you got over here. You don't know the devil you're going to confront in the future. But let me tell you, when you're going with God and you're moving forward to Bethlehem, when you're moving forward to the place of Judea, to the place of provision, to the place of God's presence, I want you to hear this today. He is the God who will supply and meet all your needs according to your riches and glory. But you simply must believe. (sighs) Don't urge me. I'm not going to go back. I'm rejecting those gods. I don't know how this happened. I don't know how this happened in Ruth, but there was enough faith in the heart of Naomi in telling the story of her God that Ruth believed. She knew that those gods, it just didn't make sense. Jesus said, my spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are children of God. You are here today because the spirit of God has spoken to you. You're his child. He cares for you. He loves you. Something inside of you, you know that. You look at the external circumstances. You look at all the things that are taking place in the trials or maybe the tragedies that you're walking through. But I want you to hear this today. The God that we serve is a good God. He is for you. His spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are his child. And if you are a child of God, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you to the very end. Come on. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people. She's renouncing the way of the world. 
She's no longer identifying herself by a nationality. She's no longer identifying herself by a clique or by a club or a style. She's now identifying herself as a person of God. She's now coming in covenant relationship with the children of God who worship the one true God. She's coming back home to her father. She's made a decision. She renounces their ways of worship. She's received this revelation. Ruth is moving forward with Naomi. She loves this woman. I don't know why. I don't know what it was about Naomi. But Ruth loves her. She's loyal to her. See, because when we love God and we love people, we will live a life of abundance. It won't always be easy. Hear me today. When we love God and we love people, we will live a life of abundance, and ultimately, we will leave a legacy, a legacy of a person of faith. And as we traverse through the rest of the story, we watch now as Naomi and Ruth make their way back. But coming back, she came back, Naomi came back the hard way. Look verse number 19 with me. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. They finally arrived at the place of provision. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, can this be Naomi? It was a welcome party. The welcome wagon was out. One translation says, when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. I just picture myself being Ruth, being Naomi. And she's thinking about Bethlehem. And she can smell. You know that feeling you have as a kid? You know, you, you know your hometown and you grow up and there's something about going home. You know, there's something about, like, you know, making it. I'm going to go back home. And my mom, my, my grandma, whatever it is, she makes the most incredible meal. And we're going to have this breakfast. And so she's going to have pancakes. And she's going to have sausage and bacon and fresh-squeezed orange juice. And it's going to be the most incredible food. And, and we're, you know, I'm going back home. She could smell the, the bread baking in the bakery ovens. She could smell it. She's on her way back to Bethlehem. She's going back home but she's got a problem she's got a problem she's hanging on to her past look at the rest of this verse says why do you call me Naomi why do you call me I'm not pleasant as a matter of fact I'm anything but pleasant I'm mad at God I'm mad that he allowed this to happen in my life why did this happen to me this isn't fair I just followed my husband. He was, he was supposed to be the spiritual leader. I was trusting he did the right, would do the right thing. He didn't do the right thing. Why is this happening to me? Why are you calling me now? I'm not pleasant. My life hasn't been pleasant. My life has been hard. Lots of challenges. Lots of problems. I buried the, the people that I love the very most. I buried all three of them in the grave in Moab. And look at verse number 20. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. You know what Mara means? Bitter woman. Bitter water. I'm bitter at God. I'm mad at God. The Almighty has caused this to happen. No, no, no. Don't get that wrong. She's got some bad theology going on here. Don't get that wrong. The Almighty. The Almighty in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. The God of more than enough. The Almighty. The God who is more than enough. El Shaddai, Almighty, if he could really provide, why did he provide for us? Why did this happen? I'm bitter. Look, she's a woman of faith. 
You see, you can come back to God, but you can still hold on to the tragedies and the trials and the troubles of your past, or you can make a decision. You can make a decision, and you can leave those in the grave. Because hear me today, if you dig around in a cemetery long enough, you're going to find some skeletons. you got to leave that in the past. you got to put the past behind you. Paul the Apostle said, if any man is in Christ, all things become new. You are a new creature. You are a new person with new opportunities, new dreams, new visions, new possibilities in God. God is doing a new thing in your life as you move forward in him. You can't see it. Of course you can't see it. You're looking at this level. God's got the aerial. He's got the drone level. (laughs) God's seeing the end of the story. He already knows how this is going to finish. God knows how your end is going to finish because he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He takes us from a place of of lack to a place of abundance. He takes us from a place of misery to a place of joy. He takes us from a place of brokenness to a place of fulfillment. See, that's what God does to those who put their trust in him. Don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. Don't hold on to it. I've met way too many bitter Christians, unhappy, frustrated, can't understand why it took place. I don't know. I just don't even try to know. I'm sorry that it happened to you. But I know, I know that there's a good God. Uh, There's a famous Reformed pastor in America, and I like him a lot. But he says, I'm, he's a Calvinist, but he says, I'm no cruel Calvinist. If you don't know what that means, but if you know, if you understand, he says, I'm no cruel Calvinist. I believe that God is good. I don't believe that God caused this evil in my life. I believe that God still answers prayers. So that's, that's exactly what I believe. Because hear me today. He's a good father. He's a good father. He's not a bad dad. Our father's a great dad. The Bible says that Jesus, Jesus said these words, you being evil know to get, how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly father desire to give good gifts to you? Gifts of joy, gifts of peace, gifts of love, gifts of kindness, gifts of his grace, the grace of God. You can hang on to it. You can hang on to your bitterness. You can blame God for your problems. Oh, God, I I went empty. I, I went full, but I came back empty. Or you can hang on to the glimmer of hope. Look at verse number 22. So Naomi, 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 Naomi returned from Moab, whew, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. Come on, look at this. God's setting this up. God's setting this story up for a great testimony. God's setting you up, taking you through your trial and your tragedy for a great testimony. Your story becomes God's story. When God's story is at work in your life, all things will work together for good for them that love him and are called according to his purpose. He's a good dad. He loves you today. Look what he says here. So Naomi returned from Moab and come to by Ruth the Moabite. She's got someone with her. She's not all alone. She's got a woman who's loyal to her. She has a woman who loves her standing beside her. It's her daughter-in-law. And arriving in Bethlehem, the place of bread as the barley harvest was beginning. It was just beginning. The ovens were turned on. The dough had been put into the oven. The smell of provision was in the air. The smell of God's provision was in the air. 
The smell of God's goodness was in the air. The smell of God's grace was in the air. The smell of God's glory was in the air. The smell of that providence that God had brought them to that place. It was a long way. They had started out in the land, and because of a decision of one man, they found themselves in Moab. But she heard. She heard the word of the Lord. She heard the word of truth. She heard God was still moving in the land of Israel, in the place of Bethlehem, the land of Judah, the place of of bread, the place of God's provision, the place where God's people were still praising him. She made her way back. Wow. (laughs) What about you today? There was a woman in our church. She's gone back to Seattle, Washington. Her name is Joyce Shower. Joyce Shower has a very special place in my heart. Because it was a little over 18 years ago, her and her husband, they left Seattle, Washington with another couple and my wife and I to move to Central Florida. It was uh, in those first two years that this lady right here, she brought more people to Christ than any person personally that I've ever known. She talked to every person she knew. She lived in an apartment in a little housing complex, an apartment complex. I got to tell you, almost every single person that lived in that apartment complex, she drug them to church. She made them come at least one time. We had church growth because of this lady. I mean, she was dragging them. She'd be in the grocery store. She was so dedicated. She had such a mission and such a passion. She really believed in the vision of City Church to bring God's love to the city one person at a time and lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. They left. They, they were here for two years. They went back to Seattle, and, and he went back to work, and they did missions, and they really felt the call to do missions to Africa. And about three years ago, I, I was talking, and we were looking for a missions director for our church, and I called Hank, and I said, Hank, what do you think about coming back? He said, you know what? I think we're ready to do something new. And so he came back, and he brought Joyce. About a year and a half ago, she was having a lot of stomach issues, and, and one of our staff meetings, and we prayed for her. She knew that something wasn't right, and she went to the doctors, and she got a bad diagnosis. Stage four uterine cancer, very, very bad, very aggressive. This, is, this woman has been so amazing to me. I remember about a year ago, I mean, the prognosis was very bad. About a year ago, she said, Pastor, whether I live or whether I die, I win. Whether I live or whether I die, I win. See, because she put in her trust in the providence of God and the provision of God. There is a place. I, I saw a picture of her husband put up last week. She was at church. She's just worshiping and praising God. She doesn't have one ounce of bitterness in her life. She's completely trusting God. And if she doesn't get it, and she's believing for healing, and we're praying for healing. But if that doesn't happen in her life, guess what? She wins. Ultimately, we win. See, every person in this room has to come to a place where you're like Jesus in the garden and say, God, nevertheless, I don't understand this. I don't know why this pain. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm your vessel. I'm believing.